Welcome to Latino Book Review Presents, a podcast focused on bringing you the best of Latinx literature. Remember to visit our website, latinobookreview.com. Our guest today is a bilingual author specialized in children's literature. She was born in the Dominican Republic, migrated to the U.S. when she was a teenager, and today she is a writer and a senior lecturer at Dartmouth College. Latino Book Review presents Kiani Antigua. Kiani Antigua, thank you so much for being with us today here on Latino Book Review Presents. It is my pleasure. It is our pleasure to have you here. You write a lot of books for children. And I wanted to ask you in the beginning about your passion. It seems to be that you are very passionate about children's literature. What do you enjoy the most about writing for children? When they read it. When they read it and they ask me questions and they laugh and sometimes they don't even know how to pronounce one of the words, but they get it. They get it. My God, they are brilliant. There is this misconception out there in the world that, you know, anybody can write children's literature. And I disagree with that. Because It's actually one of the most difficult genres, right? Exactly. Exactly. It requires for you to write the same way you write for an adult, but with an extra thing. And it requires that you write two books, basically two books, one for children and the one behind that book. Kids are brilliant. And when you write for them, you need to give them everything you have. You need to write children's books at different levels. For that kid that has more questions, for that one that just wants to see the illustrations and have fun. And for the parents, when my daughter was little and I was finding books and reading books for her and then to her and with her, I would sometimes grab a book and say, mm -mm, I'm not reading this thing. <laughs> so I have to like it too. <laughs> and that's my motto. I want kids to enjoy it, kids to learn, kids to grow and adults too, when they read my children's books. That's why it's one of the most difficult genres. As you mentioned, you are basically writing the same book several times and everybody has to like it, right? That's the goal. <laughs> and for you, how does it start when you are writing a book for children? How do you start the process? Is it something that you see in the world and then you want to communicate an idea? Or is it something that you have experienced yourself? How does it start? I think it's the same for both children's literature and adults. I am very impulsive. If you know me, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> the same way I think I approach my life, I approach my literature. And it's that I have this idea and I have to write it right away. You cannot waste time here in Antigua. Yeah. And I take advantage of that. I think it's, it's a beautiful gift. Sometimes it could be mitalon de Aquiles, you know, but most of the times I think it helps the process of writing because what better than beginning to write something and then finishing it, <laughs> you know, and have the, be, being able to finish it right away. Now, how do I begin with everything, with things that have been in my head for forever, memories or things that I am afraid of? things that I don't want them to happen. When I write for adults, a lot of times that's the case. And for children, things that are difficult topics, but we need to learn how to deal with them. Or I wish when I was younger, I had the tools to deal with those things. And then now I want my daughter to have the tools and other kids to have the tools. Yes. Beginning with self-love 
You know, it's like, how can I convey this to children, to the new generation, to the next generation of future leaders? How can I tell them the importance of loving themselves? I think that's the number one goal when I write for children. And I think that is something that is reflected in your books. And there is also something about kids being introduced to new environments and how they learn to cope with the differences in those new environments, right? Is this something that you experienced yourself? I mean, you were born in the Dominican Republic, right? Is this something that reminds you of your own story? Always. <laughs> Always, when I was growing up, I remember having a happy childhood, uh, living with the most wonderful human being in the universe, which was my grandmother and also my grandfather. But having so many deficiencies, I didn't grow up with a mom, with a dad, with books, and you know, all those things that now I see my daughter having. Yes. <laughs> oh my God, I envy my daughter. I do, I do, I confess. <laughs> <laughs> But still, a lot of things are the same. I remember when I wrote Greña, Crazy Hair, the motivation behind that was I visited, I was visiting friends and this woman that I love dearly, she she has been in my life for 30 years. And when she saw my daughter, she's like, mm, se le está dañando el pelo. Like her hair is getting damaged. What she meant is that it's getting curly now. Mm -hmm. And I still don't know how to close my mouth. Every time I remember <laughs> that comment, it's like my jaw drops. So I remember saying to myself, this needs to stop. That's it. I went through it my whole life. I tried to change my whole life to adapt, to be part of a society that did not recognize who I was, my beauty, my hair, my roots, my uniqueness. I am not going to allow that to be something in my daughter's head. She's going to have enough things to deal with. So I don't have to add something else like this trauma that will probably never go away about her not being perfect, about her not being beautiful, about her, something in her body, about her, about who she is, thinking that something is wrong because nothing is wrong. That was the motivation. I remember I wrote a bunch of short essays and then I opened a page on Facebook called Ni Malo Ni Bueno, not bad nor good, because in the Dominican Republic and as many other Latin American countries, curly hair is called bad hair, pelo malo. So making reference to that, I name it like that. And all I wanted to do was to put pictures of anybody, any type of hair, even no hair, saying the type of hair that it was straight hair, ni malo ni bueno, curly hair, ni malo ni bueno. Why do we need to have this adjective to a part of yourself? It makes no sense to me. And then I'm like, okay, Kiani, but you're a writer. Why don't you write a book and begin at the beginning with children? Because we adults, you know, we're a little bit more... Somos más cabeza dura, no? <laughs> Let's begin where there is hope. So Greña was born in a bunch of other books about hair. It's a beautiful idea because, as you were saying, the world has established this standard of curly hair not being something that is just the hair of the person. It's as if other people were feeling that they are able to have an opinion on the hair of another person, which to me, it seems a little crazy, right? Hector, isn't that unbelievable at this date and age? It is. That there are still institutions in our countries back in Latin America 
here in the United States of America, la primera potencia, that do not allow people with certain hairstyle, even texture. In the Dominican Republic, there are schools that they don't allow children to go with their normal curly hair. They insist that the children either relax it or cover it or straighten it. Straighten it. Yes. It's unbelievable. It's painful, just the thought. It is. And of course, as a teachable thing for children, I think it's very important. Now we are starting to see some laws across the United States where they are creating laws against what they are calling hair discrimination, which is something that actually exists, but a lot of people... That you wouldn't think <laughs> they have to do that, right? <laughs> exactly. It's one of those like, things. Wait, is my hair... And then I try to explain it to people the simplest ways, like, okay, so you have a daughter, she has straight hair, and you wake her up to go to school, and she brushes her teeth, and you give her breakfast, and you know, blah, 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 and then you go to school. You don't even look at her hair because, you know, you are running late. So why do you expect that I have to spend half an hour doing my daughter's hair if you don't have to spend half an hour doing your daughter's hair? What gives you the right to tell me what I have to do with my daughter's hair? Exactly. It would be as if the entire world would work in the opposite direction and everybody needed to have curly hair. Yes. I mean, it sounds crazy if we think about it also in that way, right? And I do understand why. I mean, we are colonized civilization and I understand why 400 years ago that was the norm. But we are 400 years after that. So there is absolutely no excuse today. Exactly. But it gives you material to write books. <laughs> Now, tell me, Kenny, a little bit about this other book titled But There Are No Palm Trees Here. I think that's a beautiful story. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that story? Yes, yes. Now, that is my story. <laughs> It's the story of any immigrant I want to believe. And I have heard people telling me that they identify with that book because it's just recognizing that children, when they're forced to leave their homes, they have nothing to say about it, you know, their kids. So if mom has to move, they have to move. And if they have to travel, they have to travel because their family needs to go somewhere else. So this is Manu. Manu is the protagonist, the main character of this story. And she lives in a beautiful, beautiful city in the Dominican Republic called Samana with a lot of beaches. And she lives with grandma, which is a character that is in most of my books because my grandmother was the biggest influence in my good persona. <laughs> Anything that is good in me is because of her. And she has to go and live with her mother and half brother to New York to Queens specifically. And imagine, just imagine after leaving, running around, climbing coconut trees, having to move to New York City and live in a one-bedroom apartment, for example, with the doors closed and not understanding the language. And it's traveling or immigration through a child's perspective, you know, the things she misses, the things she loses, and the things she gains also after the transition. And it's fiction. It's completely fiction. But I remember when I was writing it, I was feeling her loneliness. I was feeling my own loneliness when I came to this country 20 plus years ago. So I absolutely adore that story. 
Yeah, I agree with you. It's a beautiful story. And of course, not only for children who are immigrants or people in general who are immigrants to the United States, but I think also for people who move around. I mean, sometimes people move from one state to another and they have to relearn everything. I think the metaphor is very powerful that you have to readapt. And of course, as you were saying, that you lose some things, but you gain some other things that are very important. You know, that makes a difference when you see it that way, I think. Thank you, Kenny. You teach Spanish language at Dartmouth College. So is there a connection between your job as a teacher of Spanish language and the books that you write? Because several of your books for children, they are also in Spanish. So yes. they are bilingual. They have an edition in Spanish and another edition in English. Is there a connection that you want to trace here with your daily job and your writing? 99% of my books are born in Spanish. Yes. I write them in Spanish first. But it's funny because when you say, is there a connection in my head? I'm thinking, no, there is a disconnection. <laughs> there is a problem. <laughs> the more I am around children and the things they say, they're so brilliant. Children are so brilliant. Uh, the more I kind of disagree with our beautiful language, Spanish language, también parte de nuestra colonización. Because of the gender situation, I remember when I wasn't even teaching at the time, my daughter was two or three, maybe, and I used to take her to a Spanish playgroup at the library. So we would sing and talk in Spanish and read stories in Spanish. And I remember saying, buenos dias, niños. And she was like, y niñas. So in her head, niños did not take her into account. And I have to agree with her. Language is culture and culture is language. And our culture has evolved. Yes. We are very different. Humanity is very different than 500 years ago. But language hasn't moved with the times. When I have to write for children and I have to put everything in masculine and I have, I'm talking about Manu's friends, for example. Manu is the character that I mentioned before or Kiara's friend from Greña. And then I have to use the masculine and the masculine and the masculine. It's getting annoying. Amigos. You're referring to the word amigos? Yes, amigos instead of amigas. But there is one boy, so you have to say amigos yes. and things like that. So sometimes I just wish there was another option, another alternative. Instead of teaching children again that, you know, the masculine is the way that we communicate in Spanish and that girls need to feel included, even though they are invisible in this language when it comes to groups, to plural. So I have to teach it that way. <laughs> But then when I, it's my time, it's my creative time, I get annoyed. And English language, of course, also has a lot of issues, but it gives you, for instance, the word friends. It's just friends. The word children, the word kids. Yes. Is this one of the reasons why you write in both, in Spanish and in English? No, I write in Spanish because it's my mother tongue. I began writing in Spanish. I'm more comfortable writing and speaking in Spanish. And I have written a few in English, a few poems, a few books for children also in English. Because I live here, you know, there is a mercado here. Unfortunately, that's the only way that my writing for children, my literature for children will be validated is going to be through English because this is where I live. But I write in Spanish. Yes. Now, can you tell us about the differences that you see, the main differences that you see between writing for adults and writing for children? Because you also have some pieces here and there for adults, right? I do. I actually began writing for adults, not for children. I began publishing for adults in 2000. 
the motivations are the same. It's just the amount of words, the choices of words also changes. But besides that, the motivation is the same. I just try to understand the world around me and people and the way they think through literature, through writing. If you had to compare the different audiences, we already talked about, of course, you have your books in Spanish and your books in English, and you have some stories in Italian and French. If you had to compare the audiences, would you say that there are clearly some different interpretations in your work? Children are way smarter than adults. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that what happens is that because I write for children in both languages, the market here, I guess, is more available for what I have to offer. I write for adults only in Spanish. So my market is very limited here in the United States. And then I am not in the Dominican Republic. I have published a few things there, a few books over there and a lot of children's books over there too. But it seems that children is a market that is more willing and growing and hungry for literature in comparison to adults. I need to begin writing in English for adults. <laughs> <laughs> That would be good. I guess, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Or you can start by translating the other ones, the ones that you already have. You know that I, I am a translator, but I... I know, I was going to say I feel, but no, I know that I am very capable from English to Spanish, but not from Spanish to English. That is not my forte. I think I need somebody more capable in English than myself. There are way too many idiomatic expressions that I would have no idea how to translate. Yeah. No es mi lengua natal. No, I leave the things to the experts. That's always a good idea. <laughs> yes, yes, I agree. <laughs> Now, Kiani, before I let you go, I wanted to ask you... Don't let me go! <laughs> <laughs> Time has gone very fast in this interview. <laughs> yes! I wanted to ask you, let's imagine that you have in front of you children. When you are reading your work to these children, what do you want them to get from your work? What's the thing that you want them to take with them and to live with that idea forever? Is there such a thing? Yes, yes, that they are absolutely perfect. If you ask me to just name one thing, that would be the thing. That they are unique, that they are amazing, that they are wonderful, beautiful. We live in such a in a society so focused on beauty and appearance. It's going to be tough to change that. So if I cannot change that, I at least I will try until I have no bones left to instill in children that they are beautiful, that their skin color is beautiful, that their nose is beautiful, that their hair is beautiful. And that is there for a reason. It's because their mothers, they look like their mothers. They look like their grandparents. They belong somewhere that somebody loves them. Um, I also want them to have fun. I want to have fun when I read to them. <laughs> I usually do these readings and I end up like sweaty. <laughs> like, okay, I'm hungry now. I burn, I don't know how many calories. Um, reading, I, I grew up not having, not knowing this feeling, but reading can be so much fun. And that's another thing that I wish I could pass along. And they have the opportunity to have a book in their hands. They have an opportunity to have an author reading to them. So the teachers care, their families care. 
So if they see literature, if they see reading and writing as something, a fun activity, oof, what a step. They are already ahead of a lot of us that didn't have that opportunity when we were children. Absolutely. Kiani, thank you so much for sharing with us your ideas. And of course, we hope to have you again here on Latino Book Review Presents. Thank you. Thank you so much. It has been fun. And I am not lying. Ha sido un honor compartir con ustedes. Muchísimas gracias a ti, Héctor. Muchas gracias, Kiani. Thank you for listening to this episode. And remember to follow us on your favorite social media platforms. Our producers today were Gerald Padilla and Rosy Lima. I am Hector Rendon. Until next time. I want kids to enjoy it, kids to learn, kids to grow, and adults too. Latino Book Reviews.